Today's show is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com. Head over to CuffLinks.com this holiday season and you will find amazing gifts for everyone in the family. They got socks, ties, belts, CuffLinks, of course, and a host of other stuff that you're just going to love. It's going to make you look good when you step out in the morning and they've always got codes for you to save. Use code ELVES. Elves, baby, just like Santa, and get free three-day shipping on any order over $100 plus 15% off. What? 15% off $100 plus plus free three-day shipping. It's a holiday bonanza at cufflinks.com, and that's from December 4th to the 18th. Go out and use that code ELVES. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use that code. Support our sponsor. Thank you, Cufflinks. We love you. Happy holidays. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel and my co-host today for the final time on a Friday. He'll be with me with Aaron for next Wednesday's show. Roberto Suarez. How you doing, pal? I'm doing great. How are you, Axel? Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, this was quite an episode, and today we're going to be deep diving and reading some feedback on Watchmen Season 1, Episode 8, entitled A God Walks Into a Bar, a bar, a bar, directed by Nicole Castle and written by Damon Lindelof and Jeff Jensen. You can, of course, send us feedback to dvrpodcast at gmail.com. We will be doing a feedback show. I'm going to be doing that with Michael Aaron from the What Up Doe podcast next Friday, so you can still email us, dvrpodcast at gmail.com. I want to thank everyone. We did it. We got 50 reviews. Actually, we're at 57. Woo! Thank you. It, it really does matter, and and the things that people have written, it's just been really heartwarming, and you know, we do this show, we love doing it, and we're lucky enough that this show has a kind of resonance that really hits people, and uh, we appreciate the reviews. Uh, also appreciate the patronage. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash DVR. I set a goal of 30, and with Tay, John, Elena, Giuseppe, and Kim, we're at 29, so we need one more. Let's get us to 30. We got the reviews. It's just going great. And uh, just, it's been a wonderful season. I've had such a fun time doing this. I wish that there was more episodes this season. I could go for like two or three more. I know, but at the same time, I'm. I hope the show is gonna give us an awesome finale <laughs> and know that you know, because sometimes you, you don't want to overstay your welcome, and True. it's been f firing at all cylinders. And I, I just want to make sure that we just land this finale. Uh, I'd rather get nine solid episodes than. The nine good episodes and then a mediocre uh, rest of the season kind of thing. So uh, I'm just glad that it's been as strong as it has been. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. And I, I've been, I've been very impressed so far. So much so, you know, I after each episode, you know, I do three pods on it. And I talk about it. I rewatch it. And just this week, it really hit me kind of taking myself out of it and just looking at this like in comparison to other shows and in the big picture. And man, this really just kind of knocks the socks off of so much other stuff that's on TV and yeah. takes this superhero, this genre stuff to another level. It just, there's not been one, there hasn't been one instance at 
that something happened in the show that my heart kind of sank or I felt they kind of, eh, they really kind of, you know, whiffed that one. I, I've just felt like every single thing is knocked it out. And this episode is no exception. Mm-hmm. I'm almost, I have that God, that awe for the show that I'm, I think it's going to hit me even later. And I'll be like, man, wasn't West, uh, West, I almost said Westworld. Wasn't Watchmen just so awesome? Like it's just hit after hit. It's been such a great season. I know. I know. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think they, you can tell that they really crafted, crafted this as a full, complete story they wanted to tell. <clears throat> There's a lot of doubt out there that they'll be able to nail the landing and how to wrap everything up. But I think, I think the last two episodes have begun that wrapping up process. So we're going to have a nice finale uh, coming up. And it just, it just shows, you know, when you have, when you have good writers, when you have a good story, when you have a, a compelling idea and when you plan it out properly, uh, how, how you can really execute on that. And it just, it just shows in the product. Yeah. It's been amazing. Well, let's get to some news. Yeah. Um, we'll get to our deep dive and we do have a lot of great feedback this evening. First off, there was a great article about Yaya. I believe that's how you pronounce his name, who plays Dr. Manhattan slash Cal. Um, and I'll include that. It's on, it's from Collider. I'll include that in the show notes. But one of the interesting parts was that he mentioned this in, I think, a couple interviews or articles that that was his voice. You were right, Roberto. Yep. I was like, it sounds different. No, that mm-hmm. was his voice. And he actually had to kind of train himself to lower the octaves somehow. He kind of modulated it a yeah. little bit. He did something with his voice. So it was he was obviously, you know, uh, acting the character of Manhattan in his original voice. Um, but it was still, to me, it was still very much, it was, I, I could tell that it was his voice just kind of a di- almost like it was in a different pitch, uh, the way he was doing it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I thought that was great. Yeah, it was a great article and it's good to see him getting some positive feedback because I know, I believe that he was like, what's his name? Black Mantis or something in, in Aquaman. He was Black Manta. He was Black the, Manta. Yeah, okay. who is one of the who's he's not the main bad guy in the Aquaman movie, but he, <laughs> he was like a secondary bad guy that gets and, defeated like five times. And, yeah, and in the world of of Aquaman, he is a significant bad guy. He just wasn't the one who got yeah. set up. He, he, he kind of was more <laughs> of a setup for a future movie in this first movie. So yeah, I was glad that it's good, you know, because you get a huge part like that. And I thought he did a good job. And I remember saying to my wife at the end of that movie, I was like, oh, my God, that actor, like, he just mm-hmm. kept on being defeated. And I guess, you know, that's sometimes the role you play. But it was, you know, it's great. There's just great casting. And, and he he really knocked it out. And he's been having a lot of fun with it on social media and doing little videos and stuff. So I thought that'd be fun to read. And, um, he, and he, I also, I, if I recall, I mean, it, it's a huge endeavor to take on the dr manhattan role and to have kept it kind of a secret all along and so i think i think it was executed beautifully yeah definitely um next up is an article that i mentioned on the show with aaron but i just wanted to mention it again because i thought it was very well written uh which is uh damon lindelof's watchman has been an elaborate chicken and egg joke the whole time i sent this to you and aaron by text Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Um, and I just thought this was a lot of fun. And it talks about, and we'll talk about like who may have eaten Dr. Manhattan. They kind of theorize that it's Will. Um, but uh, I thought in general, the article was pretty cleverly written and it's mm-hmm. worth checking out. Yeah. Plus it brings up an interesting, you know, one of those uh, yeah, philosophical questions that have been asked since the dawn of time, the whole chicken and egg scenario, which in and of itself is one of those questions that, um, you know, we it, it's uh, it's got kind of a d- dubious origin as well, right? So it's a uh, it's an interesting uh, problem of a p- paradoxical problem to consider and to see it in the context of the show and how the article explains how the clues have been dropped all around uh, the show that that it is an elaborate chicken and egg joke. Um, I think it's an interesting interesting idea. Uh, yeah, I really liked it a lot. So check that out. Oh, and I just did want to mention. Uh, keep on going to 25 years later site because Brian and I believe her name's Laura had been writing great articles. It was such a joy to have him on uh, the instant reaction a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and his article, his articles usually come out on Thursday and those have been fantastic where this is it. I mean, everybody's got to get their theories out and write their articles. And I really like the way I think that, the fact that a lot of people had been given six episodes, I think that writers, bloggers, critics did a good job of not spoiling, and now they're kind of going wild, and there's a lot to speculate on. So there's just so many great articles out there if you're part of uh, any of these Facebook groups or you're online. Of course, everyone is. You'll find just so much great stuff written about this. It's been really interesting to see how the show has been covered and how positively critics have warmed to it and have just been kind of delving into every aspect of it. It just seems like right after the episode ends, there's 20 different great articles written about it. Yeah. Um, And the cast and crew have just been awesome about giving interviews. So I think it's just it's it's cool to see that. Yeah, it's built a really interesting uh, community of discussion around it, and there's a, you know there's some detractors and there's some uh, uh, people who are <clears throat> still uh, disappointed that it's not the vision that they 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 thought for Watchmen. But on the whole, I think it ha- it has also won over a lot of people. <clears throat> there's some commentators that I have listened to on YouTube who uh, they kind of went into watching the show. Uh, wanting to not like it because they were, you know, people who really loved the original work and were concerned that this was going to be uh, a big misfire, and they've been won over by the by the show, uh, and in many ways, uh, like like how I feel, it enhances the experience of the original work, uh, the the way that they have developed this this show. Yeah, well, they'll, they'll yeah, there'll always be those detractors. Sure, that hasn't really been a part of my. I think Game of Thrones has well taught me to just whatever. Yes. I just got. <laughs> and Dr. Manhattan has taught us that nothing ever really ends, right? True, true, true. <laughs> um, so the last piece of news, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into this. Uh, Roberto had some great thoughts on it. Is there were two, are they final? I don't know. PDPedia articles, maybe next week after the finale, they'll release a couple. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 they, they've so far they've done a couple of pieces yeah. after each episode. It stands to reason that they might do a couple more to kind of finish things up. But 
this <clears throat> these ones um, could could very well be the last ones. I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, well, there's basically uh, this is a kind of another twofer where right. it's a memo written by Petey. I thought it was after their finale, but you have found out. Thank you. I, I thought so too. Okay. I mean, I, I originally speculated the way that it was written that maybe it was written post the finale, but I read another article. Um, I want to say it was on the AV Club where they said that the date is supposed to be the same evening of the events at uh, Angela's house. So what we just saw at the end of the last episode. So when they refer to martial law has been implemented and there's been a major massacre or whatnot, they're referring to the the events that happened, you know, in the abduction of Manhattan. That is good to know because – I started reading it and I was like, oh, am I getting spoiled? But it's because they've, these do go a little bit ahead. They have. They have. And I've been comfortable with it because Mm -hmm. I've found, and we've talked about it, that this has just been a great way to enhance it. It hasn't really spoiled anything. Right. Uh, Especially if you've read the comic, the original. Um, But this is basically a memo then written, like we said, after the events that happen. And what Petey really gets into is a book called Fog Dancing. Correct. Um, And Roberto is going to get into it, but then I'll just describe the second piece of what the uh, uh, of what the Petypedia files are. The second file is Petey's like. Entry into a contest, if I read it right, to describe what this famous novel is. Right. Um, so, so it's so, kind of go hand in hand. And both pieces emulate the chicken and the egg thing as well, or not so much the chicken and the egg, but the uh, the kind of the cyclical nature of a lot of the events in Watchmen. You know, there's this idea of kind of things happening again. And they talk about, they have that term for the coincidences, the... Uh, uh, yeah, I can't remember what the term is now, but you know when they when they're talking about coincidence, like cosmic happenings, you know that things that kind of happen mm-hmm. together. Because in this piece, he's writing about this book because he happens to have found copies of the book and copies of a magazine that was dedicated to this book uh, that is out of print at the moment when he's finding it uh, in the apartment of Looking Glass. And he coincidentally happens to find the issue in which he had submitted a entry into a contest to the magazine. So then he's saying there's this weird kind of, uh, you know, cyclical thing where just as he is entering this stage of the investigation and finding these clues, he also happens to find the one issue in Looking Glass's shelter where he had submitted a piece, uh, apparently the magazine did an annual contest where people submitted their summaries of what kind of like their own theorizing on what the book fog dancing Mm -hmm. was about. And his entry is in that magazine, an early form of Reddit, right? An early form (laughs) of Reddit. Right. And not only is this entry in the magazine, but out of the 50 entries that were published, his was ranked 50th. So his is the poorest of all the (laughs) entries. And so he, he mentions the fact that, you know, he obviously had, 
uh, at the time, he just felt incredibly disappointed. And there's some interesting language that goes in here because he mentions that, you know, the, the book has apparently is a very important book, especially uh, the kind of book that a lot of people read in college. And from the descriptions of the book, what came to mind to me and actually mentioned some of the contemporary authors that influenced the author of the book were people like uh, Edward S. Burroughs. Uh, it's, it seems like a book that could have come out of somebody like Philip K. Dick um, or Kurt Vonnegut. It kind of has that, mm-hmm. that, that type of, of or even Ray Bradbury, you know, kind of has a bit of a Fahrenheit 451 kind of thing. The, uh, the book is called Fog Dancing, like mentioned, and it has to do with a, a kind of a, a soldier, a, a type of soldier that are called these soldiers called fog dancers who are supposed to be kind of like an elite force of warriors, a military warriors. And in the context of the book, the warrior uh, who is uh, the, the protagonist gets involved in a conspiracy uh, that leads to him uh, taking care of uh, executing a plan. And it turns out that all along he was being manipulated by the bad guy in the story. So he is just basically become, he becomes a puppet of the bad guy, which in a way kind of, again, mirrors uh, um, the, the the Watchmen, some of the Watchmen tropes, you know, some of the idea of Ozymandias being the guy behind the scenes and is he a hero or is he evil, kind of confounding those things. And there are some interesting clues here that lead to stuff that we've seen in the show before. First of all, the description of the fog dancers, the way that they dress and the type of things that they use in their work are very reminiscent to what we saw in Lube Man a few episodes ago. Uh, <laughs> they wear full body silver outfits and they mentioned that they use lubricants and other types of ointments to protect themselves from radiation and also to be able to uh, slip into ducts and to kind of, you know, uh, 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 infiltrate uh, enemy encampments and stuff like that. And so it's very possible that with learning that Petey is a big fan of the book, learning that he has been, he had studied it for a while and uh, that he got the opportunity to go to Tulsa to explore uh, um, what's happening over there. The fact that his background is in the research of vigilantism, uh, that he himself uh, adopted the persona of a fog dancer uh, in the form of loop man, uh, whom we have seen earlier in the show. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him uh, pop up one more time in the finale episode. And he actually makes reference to the fact that that the story that he wrote for this magazine, the summary that he wrote, uh, and it's re- and it's kind of rejection, not rejection, but it, the, the fact that it was considered the weakest entry in that contest contributed to his own origin story. Uh, he, and he uses that term of origin story. Uh, which again is kind of associated with superhero uh, origins, um, and also uh, he mentions too that that um, it, it's also what kind of forced him away from being a fan of fiction and getting more into facts, which is what why he kind of went down the road of becoming an FBI agent and and wanting to document historical stuff like the the uh, vigilante history of vigilantism rather than continue to deal in the world of, of, of fiction. Um, but the book, uh, you know, it seems like to be very influential and we have seen it a couple of times in the show already. There's copies of it supposedly in looking glasses apartment, the book that Ozymandias uh, that Vite is reading at the end of the 
episode is Fog Dancing. He describes it as a book about loneliness. Um, and in the scenes in Vietnam in episode uh, s- uh, seven, um, when uh, when the young Angela is looking through the videotapes at the, at the video store, one of the videos is uh, one of the film adaptations of Fog Dancing, oh, which apparently yeah. has been adapted twice, twice. into film. Once by the Quay brothers, who are they are yeah, animators. The brothers Quay. The brothers Quay, yep. And the other time by uh, somebody who David seems a, a, a rather logical person to do a book on a, such a story, David Cronenberg, oh. who himself has adapted works of uh, Edward S. Burroughs in the past. So it makes perfect sense that uh, he would uh, that that he would be affiliated with this. Yeah, the film nerd in me when when he mentions the brothers Quay. I got kind of excited. It's kind of funny. Like Damon and these writers have had a fun little time of this, you know, a couple weeks ago, I put in the show notes, an article where Damon did an interview as if he was a film historian talking about what would have happened to film history because Robert Redford became president. Correct. And I now they're creating like all these films. I just think they're having so much fun with it. They're they're taking what whatever those uh, film history courses they took in college, and they're just uh, f- finally putting them to some use. Yeah. Uh, uh, being able to kind of draw from all this, you know, trivial information and create, uh, you know, world build with that, which I think is is pretty fantastic. Um, interestingly enough, in, in PD's memo, there's also a couple of names are redacted from the message from from the from the letter. So we don't see who they are. They say that they're uh, they're they are trying to identify uh, bodies, and the fact that there are these two redacted names there indicate that perhaps they are them. I don't know if they're talking about Angela and Cal. Uh, that that would yeah, be, it seem to make so. sense. That, that, that's what they're referring to. Um, and also that Lori Blake, uh, that he suspects Lori Blake may be dead. Of course, we know that she's been captured by the 7K, uh, although at the time when Petey's writing this, we are not exactly sure how that lines up with what we're seeing in the show. But uh, we know that, at least we know that so far she's alive, but in some danger. Uh, and then there's an interesting quote uh, in the memo, and I'm going to read the quote here. Uh, the entire adventure in Tulsa has shown me that I am not the enlightened intellect I thought I was, but remain compromised by blinkered, assumptive, know-it-all thinking. I feel challenged to engage our culture with a more generous and empathetic spirit. And I'm wondering if this is a hint to what's going to come once the Millennium Clock is activated. This idea that this is waking up in him a need to be more generous, to be more empathetic, uh, and if that is part of True's plan, I'm wondering if that's what's going to happen. If, if this is kind of a hint to that, um, so I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see uh, how that develops in the final episode. Uh, this is th- this line, and this uh, particularly this line was what made me think that it was after that it was after. Yeah, Maybe it, and that's it was, exactly what I thought, mm-hmm. that is this the effects of the Millennium Clock? Right. And right. that he's been kind of woken up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we both keyed in on that. We both keyed in on that. And, you know, I, 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 would, I thought the same thing too initially. But again, because I saw that confirmation that this was still pre the events yeah. of the finale, my guess is that, you know, Petey already seems like a person who's willing to challenge his own beliefs, especially after what he's learned about, about, uh, uh, 
uh, hooded justice and all that stuff and kind of like how that has upturned history. So maybe he's a little bit ahead of the millennium clock curve. Uh, but once that is activated, we might be seeing uh, uh, maybe something similar occurring on a larger scale. Yeah. And it's definitely, though, this is in keeping also with the way that these memos have been written. He's yes. often been self-reflective, self-reflective and emotional. Yeah. So I yep. think – but it does you know, provide uh, thematically go, and it goes along with and provides some insight into what we might see mm-hmm. or definitely what we have seen. And in his signature on the letter, you know, I don't know if as, a, as an FBI agent, when you write a memo, if you're allowed to make jokes, uh, but, you know, he, he signs the letter Dale Petey, Special Agent Dale Petey, Anti-Vigilante Task Force Research Unit, and then closes it with Fog Dancing in Tulsa. Mm. Uh, so maybe that's another hint that he is the Fog Dancer himself, uh, Loop Man. Um, uh, or, or has something to do with uh, with his, you know, I don't know, uh, newly acquired enlightenment. So. Listen, there is no doubt that he is the lube man. Okay, yeah. I mean, we just they're they're not trying. The they're not trying that, to hide it. No, they're, they're not it. trying to hide. And I don't think they're. Tr- it's so fun. The more I think about these episodes and rewatching this episode, they're just not really trying to hide anything but what's to kind of come. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I I like that about it. Like people have been saying, oh, this show is so complicated, and it really is. I'm not saying it's not. But when you just look at the dialogue and what characters have said, like when we first met Will, he's like, I killed. Judd, right? I yep. strung him up right over and that's what he did. Now yep. he also said that he was Dr. Manhattan. So <laughs> let's right. see if that comes true. And he may be right. I mean, we'll 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 find out. Um there's also uh you know, I think the I think the way that they've structured the show I don't know if we as as viewers are getting better at theorizing because a lot of the stuff that we have been speculating since the beginning have actually developed pretty close to what we thought was going to happen. You know, uh, Will being uh, – and, and I'm not saying you and I were the only ones who speculated this, but just the, just the, the general mm-hmm. consciousness uh, around the show. You know, uh, there's been speculation early on that Will was going to end up being hooded justice, and that was – uh, confirmed uh, the doc, uh, True's daughter being her mother. Uh, that was confirmed um, with, you know, a, f- a few episodes back. If you recall, I was telling you that I, I didn't necessarily think Vite was a prisoner, that Vite had somehow offered to help Manhattan. And then Manhattan forgot about him. It didn't quite play out that way, but it kind of did. I mean, in a way, Manhattan created this world in Europa. He became bored with it. Asked Vite if he wanted to take care of it, and Vite said yes, and he voluntarily went there. And then uh, Manhattan did forget about him and about everything else because he he became human yeah. with the implant in his of the ring in his head. So the reason Vite's strapped there is because nobody remembers he's up there. <laughs> you know, there. So so a lot of the hints that have been played there have kind of played ha- have allowed us to speculate down a pretty uh, pretty clear path as we have uh, theorized about all these things. So I'd say, I'd say our average has been about 80% or so in, in our speculation. And I think that that is because the show is so well-written. Exactly. And, I, I, I don't think yeah. at any point that we're trying to deceive us, they were laying out the clue so that we could get there. Exactly. You know, I think that having 
uh, come from Lost, where yes. there was such a push to give those commercial breaks, those act breaks of what's this or what's in the hatch, right? Mm-hmm. The magic box. And then go into leftovers where so much of it was people would just say what was happening. And mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, that's what's happening. But it would still be awesome. Damon has kind of come up with this way of like writing a mystery by te- by almost like overtelling things. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of go back and look and then you see, oh, it's right. It's all right there. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think that that's like kind of an evolved way of television writing. He's taken, you don't need the act breaks and you don't need the cliffhangers. Um, you, it, it leaves it open for kind of like everything to be a cliffhanger because even how a person is going to react to something becomes integral to the storyline. And, uh, I just think, yeah, it's been just great writing. Like you're saying, everybody gets this stuff. I don't, I feel like there's been, uh, I've seen some articles, some people like, who thought he was going to be hooded justice? And I was like, pretty much everybody. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I think everybody yeah. thought that from like the first episode, people yeah. were saying that. And it was speculation early on. And That's because right. they put it in there, he was dressed like, like once mm-hmm. you go back and look, look at the like, uniform. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's all the same thing. And that is a way of treating your audience. I think with intelligence, mm-hmm. just kind of putting it out there and letting you get kind of involved with the story. And a lot of the mystery is there because of the way that the show has been structured. But as pieces are being revealed, they're falling into place, right? I mean, if this was a show done in strict chronological order, let's say, you know, the events of Manhattan meeting Angela in Vietnam had happened earlier in the show, then we we would logically kind of follow this train of thought, right? But because it's been kind of, it's been almost like we've been perceiving the show the way Manhattan perceives time, you know, kind of all jumbled up. It's not until certain pieces fall into place that it then kind of snap the picture then falls in. And like, I I was watching the episode with my son and he could be, I could hear the gears clicking for him. Like, Oh, okay. Now that this piece is in place, I understand how that relates to everything else we've learned so far. So uh, that's been, that's been pretty, uh, pretty interesting to go through that experience and not just feel like you're just being given mysteries for the sake of being giving mysteries. You're being given mysteries, but then later on giving the keys to kind of unlock those pieces. It makes me wonder, and maybe somebody's already doing it. You know, there's a thing called lost in order where oh, yeah. someone Somebody re-edited who, Lost. You edited it cr- chronologically? Yeah, with all the flashbacks in chronological, all the wow. everything in order. And I wonder if somebody would re-edit this season. It's possible. Um, and you could come up with some fun Dr. Manhattan-like things, you know, right. like create them, see if they work through editing. That'd be kind of, a, I bet you somebody's going to do I'm it. I'm sure somebody will, yeah. will want to take that on at some point. And if not, we just gave them the idea. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so why don't we continue kind of down the, the theme of quotes. Because, you know, we just finished kind of quoting PD from the from the PDpedia article, but there are some key quotes in this episode that kind of resonated for me. It's a moment when Dr. Manhattan meets Will, and there's that great scene where he is, uh, communicating with Angela at the same time, communicating with Will, and that kind of triggers this whole chicken and egg thing. Is if if somehow Angela was the one who began Will's motivation to seek out uh, Judd uh, and and lead lead to the events of Judd's death. But uh, but in that meeting, Doctor Manhattan says to Will, "The future is uncertain, my, and my ability to influence events is limited. In order to ensure an optimal outcome." 
I would like to form an alliance. Uh, and so, so one key piece there, optimal outcome. Uh, Manhattan, when he is fully capable of of his you know of his mental prowess and he's not being blocked by by the any devices that could prevent him from experiencing time the way he does he can see what the future outcome of you know down his timeline will be so does he already is this i'm wondering if this is a situation similar to dr strange in endgame where he's he's finding all the possibilities of a future outcome and in order to guarantee that things play out a certain way um, he has to have this conversation with Will and ask for whatever it is he's going to ask of him at this point. And does it involve the sharing of power? We have talked about this earlier. Uh, because Manhattan experiences time nonlinearly and everything is kind of happening at the same time, he's just had the conversation with Angela about you – know, she just asked him about could you transfer your power to someone else? And he, and he – basically then speculates well i think that would be possible so the fact that at the moment when he meet when he meet he meets will he could very well be just devising that that plan that that angela put in his head is is happening at the same time for him yes. he could be then <laughs> yeah. suggesting that to him at the same time right yep. so it could very well be that that's what's happening there um like or when she says Whose idea was who gave you that crazy idea? You did, and it, and it was her, right? So the first so day then, I met you, exactly because it because it doesn't for him whether it happened in the past or in the future, it, it's, it's irrelevant. It's all happening at the same for him. It's all present at the same time. Um, so then I'm really curious to see. You know, he he says that he's not able to influence events, but that he can ensure an optimal outcome. And how much of that outcome has he seen? And if he was able to see that outcome, does that tell us anything about whether or not Manhattan survives the events of the uh, of, of being trapped by the Seventh Cavalry? Uh, can he experience things before he dies? Like, let, let's say he were to die at the moment of the Seventh Cavalry uh, does whatever they're going to do to him. Does that mean that up until that point, he's still able to see outcomes in the future? Or is the future vague to him because he doesn't know if at that, if at that moment he's no longer going to be part of existence? So I'm really curious. To, I, I guess I'm wondering how much this is a clue to whether or not there's going to be a positive outcome or a, or will Manhattan be surviving by the end of this show? Um, yeah, it's interesting because it could be that he becomes the ring again. That's something that I hadn't considered. And I was thinking when you're talking about, so if when he meets, he has this 10 year blank period, right? But that doesn't mean that he couldn't see past that. He can't exactly. see through it. He just can't, he can see after it. He can see after. And, and, and I'm, and I'm guessing that once the ring is removed, Angela starts to ask him questions and he starts to remember stuff from that period. So I think he's also able to, once the ring is removed, he also recalls his life as Cal, but it's all kind of jumbled, uh, the way that he's, he kind of describes oh, you're right. it. You're right. So I'm not really sure exactly how this all plays out and it's, you know, it's hard to kind of understand it, but, but there are, you know, at some point, when he is fully full of his faculty, of, of his not being blocked, he is able to see, you know, all the way till the end of his of his existence, right? 
And so if he's able to look towards an optimal outcome, whatever he's discussing here with Will here, then does that mean that he has already seen, you know, himself surviving this in the future? Or or does he not see that? I'm not I'm just not sure how that plays out. <laughs> but of yeah, course we got into this Aaron and I went in a circle around this a bit. Yeah. It's it is confusing and I think that's why um this is kind of a line of theory where you have to just watch the next episode. You just have to ro- go with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we really as I was saying before, it's like they every episode they make new rules. Yeah, and I'm okay with that because they've been able to follow through. They're with not them. Ma- they're disclosing rules, yeah. right? They're not making them as they go along. It's just that they haven't told us yet yes, that these rules exist, point. right? And and they but they make they create a space where we believe that. Yeah, so they yeah. are making them up, but sure. we believe that they always existed. Yes, right? yes. That we're uh, yeah, just have been there all along. It's just that we're becoming yes. aware of them now. Like he can transfer his power. Like they just right. said it. Like he can snap out of it in a time of emergency. And he has like, no and he has known all this since before. We just haven't been privy to that. Yeah. Which to me kind of like we're talking about Dr. Manhattan and I want to ask you, it's that question of, I guess the chicken and the egg in another sense, which is his free will. Um, what comes first? He, does, does he ever decides to do something or is he always doing what he has always done? I mean, if it was all the same thing in a sense, but you're experiencing everything all at once, it almost makes it look like you're locked into a rail, right? Like you're locked into a train track, but that's an illusion because you can see the outcome of events. You can see the outcome. So that means that you're kind of locked into whatever that outcome is, which is why he ha- he doesn't even attempt to do anything different when the cannon is shot on his back. But, and he, is he, but he goes, but we just talked about how he goes back to Will and says, <laughs> my ability to influence events is limited in limited, order to ensure. Right. So he wants to form an alliance. This alliance is in effect a conspiracy against the future. Or a, 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 a way to try to influence yeah. to whatever extent he can. So that's like, I can't help but think that perhaps at a certain point, this story is about him waking up to the fact that he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, whenever that, he may wants. Be, that may be his, uh, that may be part of his arc is that him learning that he doesn't have to live by what destiny has already yeah. predicted for him. That he is, he he has complete free that he, will. That, that he has agency yeah. over his outcome, which is kind of in, which is kind of interesting in perspective with the race stuff. Uh, that's obviously a heavy part of this. Is what what does that kind of say to us? What is the meaning of that? Is that as an individual or what Doctor Manhattan represents? I think for the show, his journey through this episode and what we've seen and with Angela is kind of more of along the lines of an individual's self-discovery mm-hmm. of their own personal power, um, even it, whether they're perceived as a god or they're perceived as Satan, you know, because he's been perceived as both, right? 
Yeah, so, well, and the one the one factor that is different here, which is something that kind of goes against to everything we've known from Manhattan up until this point, is that it appears that this is the first time he truly, as Dr. Manhattan, falls in love with somebody. And maybe that's what makes the difference, yeah. is un- realizing Angela's love for him at the moment at the time when he when he uh sees her trying to defend him maybe that's what triggers his ability to say wait a second i can have some influence over the future because he always has right like i i don't accept that mm-hmm. i i have to say my reading of this show is that dr manhattan has always had complete autonomy and free will He's never been locked into what a, a perceived future. It's only his perception of time that fools him that into believing him into that. that. That locks him into right that. Yeah. because it's a it's an indestructible mirage, right? Like it's a, a contradiction that his choice is to not accept the contradiction. His choice is to be a slave to it. And to say, I have to do these things, but all of, all of the events of both the comic and so far in this episode have shown that that is not true. These things are not predetermined and there's other people that factor into them besides him. It's his, it's the illusion of him being a God. That's how I see it. Maybe it'll come up well, and, maybe I'll be and wrong. it's a kind of a chicken and egg question as well right is my future locked in because of the choices i make now or are my choices able to influence the future it, it kind of you know provides that that uh you know are, are, are my are, am i making the choices i'm making because of my future outcome or am i or is my future outcome locked in because of the choices i'm making it's kind of like that that idea of uh, being trapped in that chicken and egg kind of, uh, and it's and like he says of the chicken and the egg, it's both. Um, it is both, but mm-hmm. but it's his, ch- but he's the but observer to mm-hmm. see that. So in the end, the choice lies with him. That's how I. I mean, maybe perhaps that's how I perceive life. But <laughs> we're in a different conversation. And it's hard but. to perceive things the way that we're supposed to. I mean, I think the show tries to do a good job of kind of showing that to us. But it's really hard to be able. How do, how do you perceive every? I mean, instance of your life at once. Remember everything that that he has experienced in the book. He's currently living at the same time as what we're seeing in the show. Uh, it's kind of bizarre to think of it that way, right? That all those memories, like the moment he met Lori Blake, he already knew about Angela. Uh, it's just kind of crazy that 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 to think you go if you were to read the book again and to be thinking, okay, all along he has already experienced. He's currently also experiencing his life with Angela and what's happening in the events of the show. And but I do think that there's the question of uh, of focus, right? Yes, and and that does have to play into it because he has to have focus in order to interact with another human, regardless Somehow. of what time there that, is. That's one part that I've never quite understood. So that's is- why I point towards the free will. It's not it's having free will. He, it's he bo- it's both at the same time. What he's paying but, attention to. Yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, there was another quote you had. He says to Angela, 
you need to see me on the pool. It's important for later. What did you yep. think about that? So that I, I, I obviously this is a piece similar to what we saw in this episode that there are there are things happening that if you were to put it in chronological order, it would kind of make sense. But at this point. We're, it doesn't make sense to us because we're not seeing things kind of play out the way that he already sees them having played out. But I'm wondering, you know, one of the things that I'm that, that we discussed earlier was uh, this idea of can Manhattan transfer his powers to other people? And he, he it, 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 right around the time he's walking on the pool, he says, I'm hungry. I need to go make waffles. Uh, I don't I, at that moment when he says that. I don't think it's him talk saying he's hungry and he needs to make waffles. I think he is witnessing somebody in the future saying that. And so he's acting that out. So maybe he's seeing oh. one, one of his kids. I'm hungry and I got to go make waffles. And so he goes to the waffles and maybe leaves in the eggs, the egg with his powers. And so next morning, one of the kids is going to say, I'm hungry. I need to go get waffles. <laughs> and he makes waffles. We or saw it. They were eating waffle. I'm telling we, you. We saw them. And we've seen him make waffles before. So maybe yeah. in the morning, you know, Angela's trying to console the kids or what. And they're like, I'm hungry. I got to go make waffles. And then one of them eats a waffle. And then Angela looks over and the kid's walking on the pool <laughs> on the water. And she's like, OK, that's why you needed to see him to yeah. show you that you can transfer powers through the egg. And so maybe then she eats the waffles to get the power from Manhattan. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, it's kind of a weird thing, but I'm wondering if that's what it is, is that, is that he is just at that moment because of the, of the circumstances and he himself being a little confused, having come out of the 10-year of the uh, memory uh, blank, uh, that he's, kinda, he's not really saying that he is hungry. He's just acting out that episode that he is seeing in the future. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So does that mean that, that something is going to happen then? You know, will one of our kids who eats the waffles move on to start walking on water on the pool, and then that clues her into, hey, the waffles are now able to give me superpowers. Yeah, waffles that give you superpowers. I mean, that would be totally bizarre, but. You know, one of the main ingredients of waffles is eggs. So it makes That's sense. You know, that he would have put the egg among the among the eggs in the in the kitchen to do that. It is uh, possible that so, multiple people end up acquire the powers. powers. Yeah. Right. It's that's, possible too, and it's possible too that that that's why Will has the ability to stick his hand in boiling water and and break the handcuffs, uh, you know, work his way out of the handcuffs. It may maybe doesn't mean that you have all of the powers of Manhattan, but maybe he's been able to enhance them in some way. Um, so by by sharing uh, his powers, you know, in a limited capacity. Um, and then Vite, when Vite is meeting with Dr. Manhattan uh, in the in 2009, in the episode where Manhattan tells him, basically, I, you know, I grew bored of of my creations in Europa, but do you want to go and and live a life of where people will admire you there and Vite volunteers? Um, he tells him that he already knew that he was in Europa, and his quote is, "A little elephant told me." And I'm wondering if that's the satellite that's been around Europa. If that's, if that's how he knew of the satellite to then try and use it to communicate back to earth to send his message. Yep. Um, Definitely. If, if we are to assume that the satellite was one of lady true's satellites um, and, uh, and he, you know, knows of her uh, affiliation with an affinity for elephants, um, then maybe that is part of what we're, what we're uh, seeing there when he says that and may, it may also hint to 
what is his relationship with Lady True? A lot of people speculating it might be a father-daughter relationship. Uh, as Bill Kava said, save me daughter. Yeah. Could it be D for daughter? Could it be D because it's – we know that Lady True is the name that she has adopted for herself, but we don't know her real name. So maybe that's her the first letter of her, oh, of her like real that. name as well. Yeah. Don't know. Like um. So then let me, as I'm looking through here, I know that I kind of already jumped ahead into some of these points. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting too that uh, the moment that Angela inserts the ring in Manhattan's mind lines up with the moment she's taking it out, right? Like that blank period of time disappears. It's almost like his his memories of Cal are kind of outside of his, his who he is as Manhattan. And so I love that 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 they that they filmed that that way. That the moment she begins his life with him, and the moment that his life ends being Cal are simultaneously depicted in the show. Um, and then this idea that it's not until that moment that he falls in love with her. So his true feelings for her come after his period of amnesia, and yet it influenced his going to meet her. Dec- uh, 10 years earlier in time. That was beautiful. Uh, it just, I just thought it was really, really interesting. And in how, again, I think as clear as you can make this idea of how he experiences time uh, through through what they gave us here in the Love show. Love is timeless, Roberto. You know that. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, I'm going to jump. I, I realize I just talked about the eggs and the waffles. So we'll have to wait and see what, what comes out of that. But I do also think that this idea of the chicken and the egg, could this also be a commentary on racism? Is the way that we, you know, is the construct of race like a chicken and egg question? Are we racist? Because does racism emerge because we recognize the differences that there exist among us. And so that, that, that leads to us uh, having, you know, uh, racist tendencies in our society mm-hmm. or are our differences, do the differences that we see between us emerge because we have an innate spirit uh, idea or innate need to, to be prejudicial, to differentiate, yeah. to cause. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a question that you could probably argue, you know, the answer is kind of both. It kind of comes from our nature and also from a, 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 the way that we're limited by our own senses to perceive our environment and perceive others around us and perceive that what that is different from us. Um, so I, I, it's interesting how everything kind of gets distilled to that one yeah. question. Well, the the fear of the other mm-hmm. is the fear of the self. Yes. It's just that, that basic thing because it is, it always was you. And, and, you know, Vite, uh, so moving on to the, the five scenes with Vite in the episode, he is in the post credit scene, he is reading the fog dancing book. And he says that it is a, it is a book about loneliness and is, you know, a lot of aspects of Watchmen are about loneliness. I think the reason we are disconnected from one another is because there's a fear of loneliness or there is a, there is a, we, we, when we feel lonely, we feel afraid. And when we, and when we feel afraid, we look for excuses for that fear. We look for ways to justify that fear. And instead of reaching out and trying to connect with one another, we enact barriers thinking that that's what's going to protect us, but it only makes us even more lonely. And Manhattan himself, you know, is all of the characters here seem to be trapped in 
a cycle of loneliness. Lori is, you know, trapped in her loneliness and yeah. Manhattan is trapped in his loneliness. In a way, you could say that the people who feel that they are uh, the, 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 the seventh cavalry, you know, it's because of them isolating themselves from the possibility of connecting with others. Yes. That all this fear emerges. And then yeah. that way, you know, in a way, it's because they choose to be lonely that they don't recognize the value of reaching out and connecting. Uh, with those who are different from yourself. And so uh, hey, we had the, the whole episode with looking glass. Yeah. The whole episode. With, what was that about? Right. Trying His, to find that, that, that connection with others and in a way when he says that this is a book about loneliness, I think he's talking about the whole story and, and kind of like what, what, what's at the core of our fears and our prejudices. It all comes down to that kind of innate fear of we don't want to be alone but at the same time, we wrestle with reaching out and connecting with others. Definitely. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Uh, That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, the philosophy major in me just kind of kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's very true. And the show has shown that again and again. But it makes me think that, you know, in all that loneliness, there were two people in a tunnel of love. And that was Angela and John Cal. And mm -hmm. the reason being is he gave up his ambition, right? He right. and she too just yeah. wanted to be with him. It, it became their happiness came because they wanted to make a connection. They yeah. wanted to be able to find a connection. And when you think about so open. Uh, about uh, uh, Manhattan being inspired to create life. What inspired him was seeing two people who loved each other making love and and trying to have a baby. Yeah, right. Uh, when he's when he witnessed Phillips and Crookshanks back in the days when he was at the shelter, and then he was so inspired by that that he created his own creations on their image uh, of the original Crookshanks and Phillips. Um, so that 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 yearning for connection seems to be kind of tied in to a lot of what uh, Manhattan. Uh, and, and and what all the characters are seeking in this, yeah. And uh, so, it's and that's uh, that that's the one thing I did want to say is, um, with we're talking a lot about their relationship and and that love that they have and kind of the growth of the character. And one of the things is I feel like we're kind of forgiving him for what he did in Vietnam and all this other shit and lying and, and, to everybody and, forever. And, and forgiving him. I mean, in a way, because Angela, I, I think it's Angela's influence yeah. is what's, ch what's changing him. It's what's yeah. transforming him. And maybe it's his willingness to finally reach out and connect with her by, by, by deliberately doing, you know, putting his powers away, putting his powers aside, what finally helps him understand the concept of love in a way he had never been able to understand it before. Yeah. And it, uh, and it helps us as viewers to like, we went from uh, her finding out that she had been deceiving us. We didn't know Cal was Dr. Manhattan, right? Like as an audience. Right. And now in this episode, I find myself kind of like having an affection for Dr. Manhattan because she does. She like gives me permission to do that. In a, a way, it, it's, it's made the character of Manhattan more empathetic, whereas before Completely. he was a lot colder. Yeah. Completely. Yep. I mean, it went from nothing to all of a sudden. And also the portrayal by Yaya, like just uh, the way they shot it, everything. It was just kind of a masterclass. And I almost feel like, and we have a, 
a feedback from a jelly donut. Am I being duped a little bit? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, is yeah. this, is this, is this a, another, uh, kind of history being shown to me? Do yeah. these 10 years make up for what he did or what, or what is he going to do? I don't know. It's it's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, let's finish up with just a few reflections here on Vite. Uh, talked about him reading the book, but there's uh, this idea that um, at the end of the episode is the first time we get this after, after credit scene and Vite once again, gets the horseshoe from Phillips. I think this is probably the third time that Phillips has attempted to give him the horseshoe and he has not rejected it or turned it down. And, and, and at first it, we, it was looking to us like maybe Phillips was just some kind of a flawed, you know, we, 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 we would describe him as an Android or some kind of a flawed uh, organic uh, experiment that just was confusing what, what this was with uh, this horseshoe. But this again leads me to think about you know how much does Manhattan know? Has Manhattan already witnessed in a possible future that uh, Vite is going to need the horseshoe to escape, and so he deliberately left that horseshoe with instructions with Phillips, but Phillips simply doesn't know when exactly he's supposed to give Vite the horseshoe. So for the last seven years, he's been trying to give him the horseshoe. And it hasn't made sense until this moment when Vite is genius, finally getting man. it. I, 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 lo- I had not thought of that at all. And I love it because you're right. He does keep on trying to give it to him. He's trying to give it to him. And he says, not now, not now or whatever, you know. So that, this is the moment that fight when Phillips finally, finally gives him the horseshoe as instructed by Manhattan. It's just that it, it wasn't the right time. And any of those prior times, it wasn't that he was being dumb. That. He's just trying to fulfill his instructions from Manhattan, and now they're finally going to be fulfilled. So we'll have to see exactly how the horseshoe plays into his escape. Um, and then the interesting piece here, time-wise, is the, the, the cake has seven candles in this final scene, which would mean that as of two, you know, he, it would be uh, around 2016 or 2017 by the time that these events are occurring, which still places it a couple of years before the events of the, of the ongoing series narrative of the main narrative. So a couple of questions, if he escapes now from Europa, does it mean that it's going to take him two years to get back to earth because of the distance or, uh, you know, cause if we're, if we're, if we're assuming that the crash landing at the Clark farm that we saw back in episode three or four was Ozymandias returning to earth and, and we are under the impression that those events were happening close to Judd's death, then it would have to take him a couple of years to get back to earth. Otherwise the episode at the Clark farm must be taking place at some point earlier in time. I, I, I'm not convinced that you, that you can line those two things up otherwise. Yeah, it would take, what is it? Uh, how long does it take to get to Mars? Like at current, but that's with current technology. Yeah, and that's a thing. So, we don't know the technology. We don't know anything, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's using to get back to earth. I mean, what if it's a portal or what? I don't know. Right. Who, exactly. Who is you? They have that. You're right. He could just be, he was so flashing. If it's something that is immediate or, or, you know, within the same, you know, let's say it takes two hours to get back from, from earth, then, 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 then he will have to be, be, be returning 
years in the past, which means that Vite has already has been in Earth for the duration of the show, if that's the case. For 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 the main narrative, Vite has already been in Earth if he in fact came back to Earth in 2017. Um, Very true. You're right. Oh, I don't know. So like and and then maybe that's maybe that's the statue that she has in her that 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 true has in her in her uh uh biome i mean i don't know she's so, been waiting to wake him up she's been waiting to wake him up or maybe for some reason it can't wake up or maybe the the millennium clock is what wakes him up i don't know i i i i'm a little confused there so i i'm still it, it kind of we're gonna have to see how this plays out to kind of get a better sense of when those events at the clock farm actually happen because it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's lining up correctly for me here and i have read a couple of articles that are assuming that that uh, that are convinced that the events in the Clark Farm happened about two years prior to the main narrative, and if that's the case, then that would make sense, right? If 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 those grounds that we saw where the cornfields were, and then they faded into where the uh, the historical society there in Tulsa was established. Mm-hmm then it would make sense that then it was two years prior that Veidt's ship would have crash-landed if it was happening at the time when uh, when he escaped from, from Europa and it was truly only seven years at the time when he left. I so, love uh, – uh, you know what? I am totally cool with maybe – you know, I mean my impression and I had got that from a tweet from Seppenwall that he said he confirmed it was that yeah. day – if that was just a ruse to keep me kind of going through this, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. If I was wrong, I I like that. I like everything you're saying. It doesn't have to match up. I mean, conversely, if we're in the writer's room, we could also have have for the first time perhaps a little bit of a montage within his scene and the candles keep coming and he's digging and his beard grows That's right. and then you know so there's other ways to write it around that, it. it could be that he's still not home free yeah. we're not he, this, he's not quite escaped just yeah it might still take him so, a couple of years to leave so so yeah we'll just i like what you're saying that, too it's, yeah it's interesting um, and then, you know, I forgot to mention this in my comments here, but I find it interesting too that the idea of uh Manhattan Suspending his powers temporarily is also a superhero trope that has been played out in comic books and in movies in the past, you know, uh, whether it was when Spider-Man gave up his his wanting to be Spider-Man. There was a there was famous that famous comic book cover of the mask on the trash can as Peter Parker walks away or whether it was Superman in Superman 2, who, because of his love for Lois Lane, yeah. decided to revoke his powers. We've had that kind of trope appear in the past. So it's interesting that they're playing with that trope here as well in the show. Yeah, I like that stuff. So that's it for my theorizing for this week. Maybe we should jump into the feedback. Let's go into the feedback, man. Uh, tick tock, tick tock. Um, that was great, Roberto. Thank you. That was some awesome stuff, man. Take a little break to tell you about our presenting sponsor, cufflinks.com. And December 9th through the 20th, use code Skywalker to save 20% off Star Wars. That's right, baby. Use code SKYWALKER, just like Luke, and save 20% off. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. You know, I was just looking over at Cufflinks. I was saying, man, you know, I'm going to be giving away some great prizes 
to all the people that emailed. And if we hit our goal of 50 reviews and 30 patrons, either goal, I'm throwing in another one and I'm going to get two winners and they're going to be able to pick from a variety of awesome stuff from cufflinks.com, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel. They've got it all. Plus, if you just want to look good, you don't have to geek out. You can just look good. Go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore Adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Let's start out with Jelly Donut. Dr. Manhattan fed the kids waffles, which have eggs in them. He's the fickle white ally who, despite having all the knowledge available, can revert to white supremacy at any time because the structure that allows it to flourish is still there. Europa is the white paradise with zero diversity, and you can't leave because white supremacy is run like a cult and getting out is harder than leaving Scientology. The Rotten Tomatoes to the face are for Damon from his weirdly devoted fandom. Okay. <laughs> I love Jelly Donut. You know, this whole podcast, I think we're, what we're finding out is that we made this podcast only because Jelly Donut was going to write emails and to the podcast. <laughs> is Jelly Donut writing to us because of the podcast or the podcast exists so that Jelly Donut yep. can write uh, uh, emails to us? <laughs> I think this is great stuff. Um, I like uh, the idea of the, of, of the Europa being a white paradise. Yeah. Yet, you know, look at kind of what it creates, right? It creates this kind of cultish, you know, beautiful but empty kind of utopia, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting parallel that he's uh, that he's uh, bringing there. No, that's she. Jelly Donut she, is a, is a I'm female. Sorry, yeah, I'm a sorry. female that emails. Jelly Donut, my bad. <laughs> that's the second time I've badly used that joke. Um, so uh, the Rotten Tomatoes to the face are for Damon. I love that, and I I that's like him on Twitter. Yeah. Um. I that that whole there's a lot of stuff in the Vite. Uh, comedy of errors and just like absurdist stuff that I think upon rewatch we'll all pick up on. And I really think they, they just had a blast putting that together. And I think the tomatoes are in a way that it's like, will you stay master? No tomato to the face. Like, what does right. that even mean? <laughs> it's so well, absurd. Another thing I too about, you. I hate you about Phillips and Crookshanks is even though there's all those versions of them, I, it's been confirmed that, the Phillips, who is the game master, is the original, yes. is the Adam yep. that Manhattan created. Do you think, and, and he also played the role of the judge in the trial, yep. is the role of the prosecutor, which was a Crookshanks, is that the original Eve, the one who was the prosecutor? 
I believe so, and that's why she winks. She winks at him, and so somehow those two have some level of insight into Vite that the others do not. And that's why, even though reluctantly at the end, they are helping him escape. So there's something about those two know something, whether it's that Manhattan told them or that they've come to a realization. Or they're waking up. They're they're waking up, right? They want him out. The others don't. Um, so yeah, so there's, that's an interesting piece there. I love that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Jelly donut, John Fisher, new patron, loved this episode and loved how they worked and how John sees time. I can imagine some people would get annoyed with not showing his face. Wasn't a factor for me. How, how did you feel about the way that they ended up portraying him and shooting this? You know, I thought it was really well thought out because you don't want to introduce a new ca- a new actor to portray a character this late in the game you know we're just getting introduced to the idea of cal being dr manhattan so we know and we know also because of angela's reaction that he did not look like how he looks at the time when he wakes up from his 10 year mm-hmm. spell Good right point. i mean she even says you you kept his face why did you keep his face right now, we can speculate all we want about the why but it was it's easier for us as viewers to k- maintain consistency with the actor so we know that he did not look like cal back there he looked like an like like how he appeared uh you know prior to him ever adopting the cal persona and we know that that he is still the same person who he was uh, uh, when he was a young boy. You yeah. know, he's, that, that, that is still his path. Up. We haven't changed the the race, or we haven't changed the characteristics of Manhattan, who he was when he, who he grew up, grew up to be. But because they they that way you don't introduce another factor in here that could be confusing, especially if you're a viewer who's not aware of the book and if, if all you know if you're you're doing is watching the show. This way, you know, yes, during those scenes when um, when Angela is able to see him and we do not, we know that she's seeing a different face. But by the time he wakes up, he's now adopted that face, and the reality is he can adopt whatever look he he wants to, and so. That, that way, it makes the transition to just keeping one actor in the role much more seamless. And I, I really liked it. Plus, I think he's doing a fantastic job playing the role. So why not? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, plus, after seeing him walk into Veidt's place, apparently Dr. Manhattan is now wielding a hammer. Good Lord, man, that thing had an elbow. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to say that uh, Yaya did uh, some interviews and he said that, yes, in fact, his uh, DMs are blowing up after his appearance <laughs> on the show. Well, Dr. Manhattan has always been portrayed as a well-endowed man. So uh, no matter the skin color, whether you're white, blue, or black, um, he continues to be (laughs) well-endowed. Well, thank you, John. Um, And one more quick email uh, email I got from Michael, and this is actually about uh, the ad we've been running for Andy. You guys do a fantastic job. Also wanted to let you know that I'm a big fan of the adoption ad. As someone who myself was adopted as a baby to a Southern Minnesota family, I can't recommend it more. And I love that your friend Andy is opening his heart and his family to another child. Keep up the great work and please make more content after Watchmen. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, uh, we will be making much more content. Go over to DVRpodcast.com 
And uh, you can check out Roberto's going to continue doing Radio Westworld and a pot of cast. You're going to come back and do uh, more. Whatever shape, whatever shape Game of Thrones takes in the future, we're going to be podcasting about it. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So, and I just wanted to include that email because uh, I thought that was sweet. And that uh, is. I've, I've been happy to be able to run that ad for Andy. And, you know, I worked for a long time in public access television. And one of the things with podcasting is I, I've been kind of trying, I always want to try to do like a PSA type thing or, you know, a lot of people have ads and we do have ads, but I thought it would be good to supplement that with something that's uh, a little bit less commercial. Yeah. Plus, Dr. Manhattan and Angela are adoptive parents themselves. So it's go. a perfect place to promote uh, adoption. So. <laughs> right, buddy. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Brady writes, Lost was such an important show to me in my early 20s. Each day, I was on Lost websites and listened to podcasts. But so much of my life has changed since then. I started a family. I went through a divorce, left toxic religion, came out as gay, adjusted to co-parenting as a single parent, started a podcast advocating for people leaving toxic religion, and more. And then, since the 2016 election, it felt like the world changed so much. I have difficulty relating to some content that doesn't address things that are important to us in this moment. Watchmen, on the other hand, tackles real life issues and has been giving me a chance has, has been giving me a chance to connect to younger me as a fan of Damon's mythologies. On top of it all, discovering this podcast that looks at the issues Watchmen asks of us to reflect on has been so refreshing. Thank you so much for creating the show and being a kind, caring, and fascinating voice. Well, thank you, Brady. And, you know, uh, I appreciate uh, we, we received a message a couple of weeks back where somebody kind of called us on some of the things that we were missing on the show. And and uh, and and now we're getting this message kind of validating uh, our commentary. I, I, I appreciate the fact that we have a very open and very uh, receptive community, and regardless of point of view or biases or uh, limited intellectual capacity, we're all here just kind of wrestling with all these questions, and this show gives us an opportunity to do that. Uh, so thank you for that feedback, and uh, and thank you for uh, for sharing your story. That's a very touching story. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, that was really cool to get. And uh, hey, it shows, you know, these are just TV shows and myth and fandoms and stuff that we follow. But really what it's all about is the personal connections you make. And I think that Watchmen, when it first was coming out, a lot of it was polarizing. And I think it's yeah. continued to be kind of polarizing. But generally speaking, I think a lot of people have just said, hey, this is a show that kind of really is trying to ask more questions than tell you what the answer is. Sure. And I think that that's what's been most interesting to me is it just gets the mind working. And yeah. that's like the key to diversity at ground zero for me is just about a diversity of opinion, thought, ideas, and just kind of opening up your mind and seeing things that you never would have thought of before. Right. Right. I mean, and, you know, it, it's a piece of art and art is supposed to be, uh, you know, good, good art brings up good questions and challenges us and challenges our conventions of 
kind of like what our, our modern day society is. And, you know, and a lot of people are, uh, uh, you know, fa facing different problems and challenges throughout their lives and in the current uh, state of affairs, wherever you are in the world. And so if a show like this can help us, you know, come together and, and wrestle with some of these questions and be corrected and learn from others, I think that only adds to, uh, to helping, uh, to helping us, you know, become, become better in the future. So Definitely, I, I, I'm all for anything that spurs conversation and communication and respect for each other, even if we differ with one another. Definitely. And if you are afraid of squids, Roberto and I are available to talk to about it. <laughs> having some residual trauma from squid, yes. please email us. We are, and we, we, can, we, we can even teach you how to cook it and make some tasty calamari. So ah, you can there you go. <laughs> eat it like Dr. Manhattan and take the power of the squid and make it yours. <laughs> so, uh, okay, next uh, piece of, face, uh, 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 of feedback comes from Facebook from Jeff Buck. He says, I think that was John, uh, Dr. Manhattan's mom, at the typewriting at the typewriter, writing that letter for the German officer in the second episode beginning. Her name was Fräulein Mueller. She may have been avoiding Osterman by then. So that's interesting. That uh, And so could that be a potential connection? She to, left his dad. Yeah, she left his dad. And could then she could she also be the mother the mother of Rolf Mueller, who was the guy suspected to be uh, to be uh, hooded justice? I'm wondering if there's oh, some. Oh, but there's some. There. But you know what though? This would have been too early because it would have been too far World back. One. That's right, because that's World War One. Yeah, ah, it would have been too far back. It almost worked. It almost worked. Yep. <laughs> Still, I appreciate the the theory. Uh, they were writing letters to drop to the black shoulders, and the note ended up with young Will all the way to Angela. That would be a thermodynamic – that's a thermodynamic miracle. That was a term that wasn't coming mm -hmm. to my mind, like Laurie was talking about. John would be destined to meet Angela from the start. Yeah, that would be interesting. But again, I think the timelines are it's, – it's too yeah, early. It's too early. For uh, for Osterman to be uh, for her to be her mother, but no, still, it, maybe she was. Maybe she grew up and had a kid later in life. His dad seemed kind of older, you know. I, I don't know. You know, who knows? Yeah, maybe it's yeah. that way. Maybe he was thinking about it that way. Um, maybe, but I just thought that this was kind of interesting because, I mean, even thematically, it makes you think of why they included that. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting inclusion, right? To have that piece there. And then the, and the typewriter also aligns with the typewriter Vite is using. Um, but they never kind of went back to that. So, okay. And then finally, Don Nelson uh, also left a comment on Facebook. Do you think Lady True was using the elephant in episode seven to try to pull Angela's memories and try to find Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias? I think she knew exactly where Dr. Manhattan was when she asked Angela, at the end of the episode. That's a good point. Now, whether or not <laughs> from Angela or it looks like several people knew ahead of time that Dr. Manhattan was Cal. Uh, my guess is that the seventh cavalry has known since the white Knight because when, when the white Knight attacked Angela, we know that Manhattan uh, react. You know, they they, they told uh, Vite told him that under extreme stress, your powers might come out. So I can imagine that uh, in the aftermath of that investigation, if Judd was tied to the Seventh Cavalry and he saw clear evidence that the any of the seven K members who were there 
were killed by Manhattan, or maybe he was there and he witnessed seeing Cal turn temporarily into Dr. Manhattan, then uh, then he's known ever since. And so they've been sitting on that information in order to execute the plan that the 7th Cavalry is trying to execute now. So that lines up well on that side of things. How Lady True came to the knowledge, that's that's a completely different piece, and it could very well be that it comes from Angela's memories. I mean, Angela is one of the few people to know that. And so maybe in the process of her... Uh, uh, detoxing Angela from Will's memories, she also pulled that information from her. It's now see what I was thinking of when I read this was Will knew that that Dr. Manhattan was taking that form, right? He knew that he knew because he he met him back in, back in the, in New York. And he uh, knew he he was talking to Angela. Angela wants to ask you something, right? Right. Right. So he would know. But there's no way to confirm it, and that's the craziest fucking thing you could ever hear. And even Lady True might not believe mm-hmm. that that's Dr. Manhattan. So it could be possible that if the elephant does play a part in any way, um, which it may never, we may never find anything about it. I do kind of like that idea that maybe she was kind of checking it out and trying yeah. to find out more information by mm-hmm. doing that. It's very, yeah, very possible. I like that. All right. That's I it. think that that's it for our feedback. That's yeah. it for our show. <laughs> We've reached the end. Wow. This was a good one, man. We got deep on a couple things there. We got some great emails, some great feedback. Um, I'm kind of in uh shock that we've only got this one episode left. I know. I I can't even really extrapolate or come up with any big great theories because I just want to be I want to be shocked and awed and I want to see what they're going to deliver. Well, and these last few episodes have been giving us answers. Yeah. So I feel like we're less we're less on the on the on the theorizing mode and more in kind of let's see how this is going to wrap up. Right. So um, it's done a good job of building up theories up front and then giving us answers kind of in the second half. And now we're just going to have to see how all the pieces finally fit. Yeah. And I really don't have any doubt that this can come to a satisfactory conclusion. Um, Did we talk last week? I couldn't remember about whether or not there's going to be a second season, how you feel about it. Did we get into that at all? I can't remember. I know we discussed it briefly. I think I mentioned, you know, that I I would be perfectly happy with this being a one season show. And as long as they can tell compelling stories, I don't mind it continuing, but not just not for the sake of continuing it. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm even wondering if this is the kind of show that could be done anthology style, uh, yeah, in a way, Leftovers kind of did that when you think about it, even though Leftovers wasn't necessarily anthology style season to season, it became almost like a different show, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just the way that Leftovers, uh, kind of, you know, the characters moved to a new location and we were introduced to new characters. So maybe that's a potential way for this to go forward. But I would be perfectly satisfied if we just got one season and it wrapped it up and it was just this one great story that needed to be told this way. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see. And we will be back. Um, I'll be back on Sunday with Gina and she will be doing the IR with me on after the finale. Then on Wednesday, Roberto and Aaron and I are going to get together. We're actually going to record it on Tuesday. Right. And uh, we're going to rock out 
all three of us. That's going to be hella fun. And then Michael Aaron's going to come on for feedback on Friday. So I'm looking forward to just, I guess, three more Watchmen podcasts. This has been a great season. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Roberto, any final words? No, just keep watching The Watchmen. (laughs) Tick-tock, baby. (laughs) Peace out. All right. That's it. Awesome. That was great, man. Yeah. Sorry if I got kind of uh, philosophical there too for a minute there. Hey, that's what people come here for. They just yeah. like us to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs>